And good to know that there are people out watching due to the, all I can say is the miracle of technology and, and those who make all that happen. I'm so thankful. In our third part of five words that reveal God to us, the first one, sin. Last week we talked about faith. This week we talk about hope. Next week we talk about love. And the final week we talk about heaven. And this, work, this week we talk about hope. As wish this time of year, many a child is wishing for certain things that they may or may not get. They've checked the nice box, not the naughty box. And the difference between hope and wish in the sense of we're going to use it today is that what we are hoping for is not something we're wishing that might happen. It is a solid hope. And as was read by Donato, of that one hope. What is that hope? Not a wish that we have. If we say to someone, where will you spend eternity? Well, I hope I spend it in heaven. That, there's a little ambiguity in there. But there's no ambiguity in the scriptures that tell us of where we will spend eternity if we're obedient to God's will. It's not a wish. It is a hope. And in a day and age to where it seems as though hopelessness abounds. I'd like to read uh, a couple of quotes here from people who wish for hopelessness. Graham Lawton, executive editor of the New, Science, New Scientist magazine, said, has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook, we may learn for a higher answer, but none exists of a purpose and a reason in this life. None exists for our purpose in life. Thomas Nagel, philosopher and self-professed atheist, says, No species, ours included, possesses a purpose beyond the imperatives created by its genetic history. So all of those little DNA that are running through your system dictate your purpose in life, which he says is no purpose. William Provine, atheistic professor, Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Cornell University, says there is no ultimate meaning in life that exists. And finally, Existential philosopher Albert Camus said, in all of this in life, he says, he concludes, how's that for a nice pick-me-up? What's your purpose in life? Well, according to them, you have no purpose. Your only meaning is what your DNA and your genes tell you. There's no meaning beyond this. And once we are gone from this life, we are dead all over just like our dog, Rover. I love that quote. <laughs> For some oddball reason. But we're not dead all over like Rover when this life is finished because 
those who have Christ have a hope. Not a wish, but a hope. And we are called to one hope that belongs to your call. When Paul was traveling around and making his plea in the gospel, he paid the price by his imprisonment. In Acts chapter 26, I'll start with Acts chapter 23, Paul perceives that one part of the audience were Sadducees and one was Pharisees. And he thought to divide them because the Sadducees did not believe that there was a life after death. So they were sad, you see. I never missed that opportunity to say that one. But the Pharisees did believe in spirits and life after death. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Paul says that's why he's on trial, for the hope and the promise that he says later in Acts chapter 26 and verse 6. He says, again, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. So Paul had a hope, not a wish, but a hope that was based on a promise that was made by the fathers centuries before. And he says that this hope for the resurrection of the dead is why he is on trial. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18 as, as God approaches Abraham and makes a promise that in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That there was going to be a promise and that Israel, and in this case where Paul spoke the Jews of that day, they believed in that hope based on the promise that God had made Abraham. And by the way, that is what... For all of those promises had come to pass, as Joshua tells us in Joshua 21 and 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. They had received their country. They had received themselves as a great nation. But that one hope still yet in the future was that all nations would be blessed by their offspring. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18.15 that God was going to raise up a prophet. He repeats that again in Deuteronomy 18.18 18 and 19. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and you must listen to him. And who was that prophet? It was Jesus. That is made apparent by the prophecy that was spoken in the New Testament, and it was fulfilled. In a, another prophecy of the hope that they had, which Mike had mentioned earlier, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They knew of this when Herod asked them, Where is this that this king is going to be born. They knew this. They knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem, and they knew that this was to be the king. But there was a time when those that Paul spoke to in Ephesus, as well as you and me, had no hope. 
where he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The same thing that he tells in Colossians chapter 1. And you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The same thing he says to Titus. Titus 3.3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. But what is our hope? For we were at one time without hope, but now as those who profess themselves as Christians, for those who are disciples, those who are believers, Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He comes back to that in Ephesians 4.4 4 and tells us about this hope to, what, to which we are called, his glorious inheritance in the saints. Riches of the glory. The riches of his glory. How wealthy we are. For he goes on in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Glorious riches that we have now. But that's not the hope that we have. For our hope, if you look in this poster here, for there is a past, a present, and a future built into that one verse. Just as you were called the past to one hope, the future, that belongs to your call today, that call that we have today. For there are many hopeless hopes that people have in this world. Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And if you thought of, of people who have no hope because all they have is what is in this world, it would only take one newscast to convince you of just how hopeless that people are in this world how hopeless that it is. Paul would... I'll start with Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, 21, as Jesus finishes a parable, and he talks about that farmer who was going to build more barns. But God tells him, fool, this day, very day, your soul will be required of you. Then who will have it? He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich to is a hopeless hope. Paul warns Timothy to teach this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as the uncertainty of riches. I think we've all 
experienced that, haven't we? No need to go over that. There are some whose hope is in the restoration of Israel. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, as, the, as Jesus was preparing to go up, so when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. For there are people that are hoping for that restoration of Israel today and never more prevalent as it is in the news as we watch what's going on in Israel. That's a hopeless hope because Jesus never promised the restoration of Israel, nor did God in the prophecies. It's plain because Jesus tells when he is on trial, my kingdom, in John 18, 36, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Never more plain than it could be. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, as Jesus scorns the rulers of the Jews. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. No longer Israel, it's going to be the church. But not the church here for the hope that we have. This is our joy now. But listen to where Paul tells us in Philippians where our citizenship is. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so it is as people read the book of Revelation and think we're waiting for the thousand-year reign. And remember how symbolic the book of Revelation is. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast in his image and had not received its mark on the foreheads of their heads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. All symbolic of the perfect rule that the church would have. The very same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 16. The gates of hell... In the book of Revelation, going to be victorious. And in the days of Paul, many thought Jesus had already returned. But Paul assures them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Doesn't sound like he's going to build a kingdom on the earth, does it? It says we're going to meet him in the air, and there we will always be with him. No thousand-year reign, no resurgence of Israel, no temple to be rebuilt because the church is the temple of God. In Acts chapter 1, as the disciples stood there, 
on the Mount of Olives and watching Jesus go up. And the angel says to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Paul affirms that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, he'll come back and we shall meet him in the air. So, we've established that we have a hope. We've established that there are false hopes and hopeless hopes. So, what is this one hope? that we have, that Paul tells the Ephesians, and he tells you and me today that we have. It's really three hopes built into one. The first one is, as we've just talked about, Jesus' return. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The hope that is in us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, beginning verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what, for what he sees? But if we hope for that, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for Jesus' return with patience. The writer of the book of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is your great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may be receive what is promised, a hope that we wait to receive. We are waiting to see, receive, as Paul tells the church in Colossae. You will receive the inheritance as your reward. That one will be when Jesus comes again. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, Acts 1.11. And the assurance, and think of what the disciples must have felt there waiting with Jesus, who gives, him, who gives them hope. He has made them realize what is coming upon them. But he begins in John chapter 14 and verse 2. In my father's house... There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Doesn't sound like he's coming back to the earth, does he? Jesus return what we hope for. The resurrection is also our hope. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, as Peter is preaching, as they're preaching to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul is preaching to those people in Athens, none of which knew anything about the Jewish religion. 
Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler, or seed picker, as some of the versions say, what does he wish to say? He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, his hope. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, Paul continually preached about the resurrection when he preached the gospel so they would have hope. John 5, 28, Do not marvel at this, Jesus said, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and rise. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus' return, the resurrection, and the third hope that we have is heaven. As Jesus tells the parable of Matthew chapter 25, when he divides the sheep and the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And those who were the goats who had not done as well, then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Our hope is wrapped up in Jesus' return, the resurrection, and heaven. That is our hope. For if we hope in this world alone, Paul says, we're most miserable. If we hope in the riches of this world, it's hopeless. Anything less just won't do it. Paul tells the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, that the ultimate goal for us, perhaps in this life, can be wrapped up in a simple sentence. To be conformed to the image of his son. All things lead to that goal in this life. The hearing of the gospel, obeying the gospel, living a life of holiness and being prepared for heaven above is wrapped up in being conformed to the image of his son. So we ask the question, are you working on being conformed to the image of his son? And I know that term working is not one that some people like to hear because they say, oh, it's all grace. But it is an endeavor. It is what we strive to do is become like Jesus, the Son of God. It is my hope. It is my wish today that everyone here in this room, within the sound of my voice, is making their one hope heaven above. And to that end, the obedience of the gospel. And making sure that all things are ready. Making our salvation sure. If there's anything that is holding you back this day, if you have not made that commitment to obey the gospel this day, by believing that Jesus came 
and died for our sins, died and rose again in the resurrection, confessing that he is Lord and Master, repenting of your sins, and that final step that puts us into Christ, being baptized, it is my hope that you'll make that commitment this day. Whatever your need is, so that we can secure that hope in heaven above, let it be known as we stand and sing.